Chapter Eight of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Eight. Curly meets a millionaire. It was a tense situation for Curly. He spent an uneasy night, and that in spite of the fact that the air was particularly free from trouble. Hang it all! He exclaimed once as dashing the receiver from his head. He sprang from his chair to pace the floor of the secret tower room. I'd welcome something in the line of trouble. This eternal thinking, thinking, thinking drives me wild. What to do? That's the question. Suppose I'd ought to go out and tell Ardmore what I know. If a millionaire father's like any other father, I guess he's pretty well wrought up by now. But if I go, and if I tell him the whole truth, I'm as sure as I am of anything that it will get me into a mess, and that's the sort of thing I don't like. Glancing down, his eye was caught by Cole's report of the night before. Dropping once more into his chair, he began going through the messages written there. When he came to the one sent out by the boy whose car he had wrecked, he pondered over it for a long time. Island, airplane, map, much gold airplane map island gold he repeated what does one make out of that it might be that this boy has been planning a secret voyage with some other chap certainly sounds like it other messages were the same kind by jove perhaps he's skipped out and gone on that trip and is not hiding at all let's see Taking down a file, he drew forth a bunch of message records clipped together. They were those sent by the moving operator on 600, the millionaire's son. A long time he studied over these. Seems to sort of prove my theory, he muttered once. Can't be sure, though. Then suddenly he sat up straight. That's the idea. He slapped his knee. The very thing. Why didn't I think of that before? If he doesn't show up by morning, I'll do it. I'll just take these records over to Ardmore and suggest to him that they may shed some light on the subject. Don't need to tell him I was in on the wrecking of the car at all. That wouldn't help any. These records might. And if I can help to find him and bring him back, then, oh boy, oh, you baby fortune, five thousand big red round dollars. He sat back trying to measure the meaning of the possession of five thousand dollars, which did not have to be spent for bed, board, and clothing. At last, he gave it up in despair. The morning papers assured the interested city that the son of their money king was still missing. To make sure that this report was correct, Curly called up the mansion and inquired about it. When he learned that it was indeed true, he requested the servant who answered the telephone to inform the millionaire that a representative of the Secret Service of the Air would arrive at his residence with copies of certain radiophone messages sent out by his son previous to his mysterious disappearance, which might shed some light on the subject. Shortly after that, he leaped into the driver's seat on the Hummingbird and motored away to the west. Arrived at the Forest Preserve, he backed the car into the deserted roadway in the forest at the very spot where he and Joe had concealed themselves the night of the race. 
have to leave you here, old thing, he whispered. If a fellow were to pull up that driveway in such a rakish craft as you are, they might think him crazy and throw him out. Well, here goes, he whispered to himself, as, having rounded the last clump of decorative shrubbery, he came in sight of the redstone mansion. Phew, what a stunner, whispered Curly to himself. The sun was tipping the parapets of that mansion with gold. The dew sparkled on the perfectly kept green. It was indeed a beautiful picture. Tiptoeing up the steps, he was about to lift the heavy bronze knocker when a porter opened the door and motioned him to enter. Are you the man? he asked in a low tone. I'm the boy who wired about the messages. Step right this way. He's waiting. Curly's heart beat fast. Was he to be ushered at once into the august presence of the magnet? He had pictured to himself hours of waiting, interviews by private secretaries, and all that. And yet here he was, in a large room furnished in rich mahogany, seemingly the rich man's home office. He was being greeted by a stout, broad-shouldered, brisk, and healthy-looking man, who was assuring him that he was speaking to J. Anson Ardmore himself, and inviting him to sit down. With his head in a whirl, he managed to get himself into a chair, and all this while he was telling himself things. Things like this. Curly old boy, this is going to be strenuous. This man is powerful, magnetic, almost hypnotizing. He will find out as much as he can from you. He will tell you as little as necessary to attain his end. To him, all life is a game a game in which he conceals much and discovers all that lies in his opponent's hand. He probably knows you have the goods on his son. Perhaps he is merely playing a game about this vanishing son. He may know where he is all the time. If so, he'll want to know what you know and what you are going to do. You must be wise, wise as a serpent. Well, the magnet spoke in a brisk way. My butler tells me you have some messages. Yes, sir. Sent by my missing son? Yes, sir. And, may I ask? The magnet's face was a mask, not a muscle moved. How you happen to be in possession of these messages? Curly could hear his own heart beat, but he held his ground. Since I am attached to the government radiophone staff, it is my duty to catch and record all unfair and illegally sent messages, to record them as evidence and for future reference. Curly fancied he saw the man start. The words that followed were spoken still in a cold, collected tone. These messages you say were unfair? Unfair and illegally sent. How illegal? They were sent with exceedingly high power and on 600-meter wavelengths. Such high power is unlawful for all amateurs, and the use of 600 is granted to ships and ship stations alone. Ah. For a second, the man appeared to reflect. Then suddenly, We are wasting time. My son has mysteriously disappeared. I have reason to fear foul play. Let me assure you that I know nothing about his whereabouts, and, previous to this moment, that I have known nothing regarding these illegally sent messages. But, began Curly, you doubt my word. 
His voice grew stern and hard as he read the incredulity in Curly's eyes. Young man, he fairly thundered, fix this in your mind. No man ever has risen or ever will rise to my present position through treachery or deceit. When I say a thing is so, by thunder, it is so. He struck his desk with a terrific blow. But, uh, Curly caught himself just in time. He had been about to reveal the fact that he was aware of the presence of the wireless set in the auto the night the millionaire's son disappeared. I can't see just how your messages could aid us in finding my son, the magnet spoke more calmly. However, all things are possible. May I see the copies? Of course, said Curly hesitatingly. This is a private matter. Few persons know of our service. It is the desire of the government that they should not know. These are not for publication. Do you understand that? You have my word. Curly passed the sheaf of papers over the desk. Slowly, one by one, the great man read them. His movement was not hurried. He digested every word. Like many another great man, he had formed the habit of gathering as far as possible the full meaning of any set of facts by his own careful research before allowing his opinion to be influenced by others. He had gone half through the pack when a door over at the right opened and a girl, dressed in some filmy stuff, which brought out the smoothness of her neck and arms and the beauty of her complexion, entered the room. Curly caught his breath. It was the girl he had seen on the horse that morning, the magnate's daughter. She had advanced halfway to her father's desk before she became aware of Curly's presence. Then she started back with a stammered, I, I beg your pardon. It's all right. The first smile Curly had seen on the great man's face now curved about his mouth. You may remain. This is no secret chamber. Fa father? She faltered, gripping at her throat. Does he know, know anything about about vincent i can't tell yet i'm going over the messages please be seated the girl sank into a deep leather cushioned chair without looking at her curly was aware of the fact that she was studying him perhaps trying to make up her mind where she had seen him before this made him exceedingly uncomfortable he was greatly relieved when at last the magnet spoke gladys he addressed the girl did you say you found some sort of map in Vincent's room? Oh, yes. She sprang to her feet. A photograph of a very strange-looking map, and also one of some queer foreign writing. Will you run and get those photographs? Yes, father. It's strange, the older man mused after she had gone. I don't understand it at all. These messages, they are... If you please, Curly broke in. Wait, commanded the other, holding up his hand for silence. Let us have no opinions before all the evidence is in. That map may aid us in forming correct conclusions. End of chapter 8